hand. Let's give him a hand. All right. Um, let's see, where do I start? <laughs> um, well, when it comes to church uh, and that lifestyle, I guess I've, uh, I'm very seasoned, so to speak. I've been doing it since I was 12. And uh, not like the, I come sometimes, I don't come, I come sometimes. I've been, uh, I mean, with the church I used to go to, ministry, ministry, you're talking day in, day out, every day of the week. And uh, it's, um, I mean, it got to the point where I was, uh, I mean, I, not lukewarm, so to say, but it just became um, just repetitive for me. It was like nothing nothing new, whatever the case is. And I, and I didn't know if the way I was living in my, in my life was really making a difference or if I was doing this thing right. Um, finally, I came to Metro, and uh, there were certain things in my life that uh, weren't changing. You know, I'll, I'll do again, and I'll do again, and I'm pretty sure um, someone, someone here is, has that issue, like, oh, I can't let go of this thing, or I can't change this. And uh, change is hard, but when you come to a church with people who love you and are going to stand with you, I mean, it's a complete difference. Things I've went through seven years in another church, you know, just keeping hidden and, and not changing. I come here, and it's like... You know, my, my life is completely different. I'm married. I have three children, one on the way, you know, so it's uh, just a completely different life. And I'm, and I'm glad to be a part of Metro, and I just want to uh, pray and encourage you guys. You know, you can change here, and just don't be afraid to lock arms with the leaders in this church. Lord God, I just ask that you bless the hearts of your people today, Lord God, Father. Give them strength, Lord God, to change and encourage, Lord God, Father. Father, to, to take you serious, Lord God, and give up the things, Lord God, Father, that, uh, that they wouldn't, Lord God, Father, the things that they want to hold on to, Lord God. Father, give them the strength, Lord God, to say this is not worth, not worth my salvation. This is not worth my relationship with God, Lord. Let them have that heart, Lord God, Father. I pray for the worship today, Lord God, Father, that during that time, Lord God, they can be encouraged, Lord God, Father, and their spirit can be spoken to, Lord God, by you, Lord. Lord God, just bless, Lord God, this time, Lord God, of worship, Lord. Let us all have our eyes focused on you, Lord, Father, and our gaze on your heart, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, amen. A shout of praise in this place. The greatest day in history. Death has beaten me. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross and empty grave. Life eternal. You have won the day. Shout it out. Jesus is alive, he is alive, and oh, happy day, happy day, you washed my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same. 
Come on, shout it out right now. Shout some praise. When I stand, when I stand in that place, free at last, meeting face to face, I am yours, Jesus, you are mine. And this joy and perfect peace, earthly pain finally will cease. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. Forever I change. Oh, what a glorious day. Oh, what a glorious day. What a glorious way. And you have saved me. What a glorious day, what a glorious name, Jesus, say oh, and oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious way, you have saved me, and oh, what a glorious day. What a glorious way. Shout out the name of Jesus. Jesus. And oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day. Never be the same. Lift up a shout of praise in this place, all over this place. Lift up your hands and praise Him. How many of you have been redeemed? How many of you have been set free? How many of you are happy that your sins have been wiped away? Although they were red as crimson, now you are white, white, white as snow. Shout out praise! Oh, what a glorious and oh. What a glorious day. Come on, sing it out. What a glorious day. Come on, voices, let's go. Jesus 
one more time. And oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious way that you have saved me. And oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious name. Shout out Jesus, Jesus. And oh, happy day. You wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same, oh, happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same, forever I'm changed. Let me hear your craziest, loudest praise right now. Yes, God. We love you, Lord. You're so awesome in this place. You've turned our mourning into dancing. You've turned our sorrow into joy. And we love you, Lord. to dance with us. Trust you. 
Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest dream, but wholly trust in Jesus, in Christ Darkness seems to hide its face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within. My anchor. Come on, lift up your hands. In Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love and through Just lift up your hands in this place. Holy Spirit, speak to your people right now, Holy Ghost. We're going to give time for the Holy Ghost to move. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts right now. Come on, church. If you speak in tongues, we believe that here. You came to a charismatic, tongue-talking church. Just speak in tongues right now. Yeah, There's power. There is power in the name of Jesus. 
Come on, church. Come on, church. Be the church right now. Wait. Hey. Hey. Come on, if there's any doubt in this room right now, the Lord wants to remind you that he has thought about you, that he's prepared a place for you, and it's near him. Come on, it's near him. Get near to him right now. Push away all doubt. Push away all fear. Push away all cynicism, all lies. Push it all away. Say, Lord, I'm coming near. I'm coming near. I'm coming near. Hallelujah. Come on. Who has anxiety in this place? Who has worries and, get, and cares? The Lord says, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So just lift up your hands right now and say, Lord, here are my cares. Here's my anxiety. Here's what I'm feeling. God, I don't want to be anxious, but I want to give you praise and thanksgiving. Here's my prayer. Give me the peace that surpasses all understanding now. Now, now, now. In Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love.
There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. Hearing your love, hearing your I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than hearing your love. Come on, lift up your hands and sing that. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I would rather be. Then hearing your love, hearing your love, so set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than hearing your love. Come on, if that's you, lift up your hands all across this place. We want Jesus to set us ablaze this morning. We gotta come hungry, desperate for more of God. Set a fire in our hearts, Lord. Down deep in our soul, that this world cannot quench. I want more of you, God. Come on, sing it. Set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. More, God, more, God, more of your righteousness, more of your holiness, more of the fruit of the Spirit, more of your power, more of your boldness, more of the confidence of the Lord. 
soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Set a fire. So set a fire down in my soul. lift up your voices let's sing it again more of you God set a fire that I can't control I want more of you God let's sing it again I want more of you God this is our prayer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the God that burns like fire he is a consuming fire I want more of you us. We want more of you this morning. We are hungry. We are desperate yes. for you to move in our life, in our circumstances, in our situation. We are desperate for you to move in our city and across America and to all the nations of the world. God, with you there is hope. With you there is peace. With you there is salvation. There is no one like our God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, from everlasting to everlasting. He is King. He is Lord. We got to get excited about him because Jesus wins. Woo! Hallelujah. We give you glory and honor and praise this morning. Let your word burn like a fire in our bones. Though we're weary of holding it in, oh God. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that you are getting ready to bust heaven loose and pour out a blessing upon us that we don't have room to receive. We want more. We want more. We want more, Jesus. Woo! If that's you this morning, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Jesus. I feel Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Let's just soak in this for a moment. Your presence is so thick in this place. Jesus. Jesus. We will be still and know that you are God. Being still means that we're not going to fret. We're not going to fidget. We're not going to try to make things happen. We're going to be still in your presence and know that you are God. You rule. You reign. You are in control. Speak to your people this morning, oh God. Burn away the dross. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Burn away things, God, that are not supposed to be there. So that we can shine like the stars in the universe. I just feel like God wants to speak to you guys individually, personally. Let him move. Let him move on your heart. We're not in a hurry. We're not going to rush what the Holy Spirit has to do for the sake of time and schedule. Jesus, have your way. 
Oh, hallelujah. You are glorious. Oh, what a glorious day. Oh, what a glorious way that you have saved us. Oh, Jesus, let's sing that. Let's close out with that right now. Oh, what a glorious day it was when you were nailed to that tree, when you were nailed to that cross. What a glorious day it is today that you became our substitute. Come on. What a glorious way that you have saved us. you to sing this aloud because that is how you were saved by the cross of Jesus and oh it's glorious that you have saved me and oh what a glorious what a glorious name Jesus What a glorious day, what a glorious way, you have saved me, and oh, oh what a glorious out day, we're not ashamed what of the a gospel, glorious day. Woo! Jesus, and oh, what a glorious day. What a glorious way that you have saved me and oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious name. Hallelujah, Jesus, we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We give you praise and glory and honor. We adore you, King Jesus. Have your way from the beginning to the end of this service in our life from this day on and forever. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen and amen. Give your neighbor a high five as you make your way to your seats. like to dismiss the king's kids at this time let's give it up for our beautiful children we love having them in here to experience the power the presence of God you know they're watching us this is how our children are gonna learn how to worship God because they're seeing their moms their dads their teachers their pastors doing it amen hallelujah if you guys could turn with me in your Bibles please to 1st Corinthians chapter 1 
verse 18. I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. For those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrasik. I'm Joe's wife. I'm one of the apostolic elders. And we're going to preach the gospel. Amen. We're going to get to the nitty gritty. Come on. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. My question is, which one are you this morning? My message is for those that are not right with God today. You have not been born again in your spirit. You have not confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have not repented of your sin and turned from your wickedness and turned to Christ's righteousness. You have not been born again. You've been playing games or you were backslidden. Which one are you this morning? Because when we preach the message of salvation, when we preach the message of Jesus and the cross, it produces two effects. It is foolishness to those who are lost in their sin, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is only by the cross of Jesus that we are saved. And if you have not come to that cross, repented of your sin, and have gotten right with the living God, you will not make it to heaven. The Bible says that you are lost and dead in your sins, and the only place left when you leave this life is hell eternity, for eternity. God has dismissed the wisdom of men as a means of salvation, which means you will not be saved by your own thinking. Your job is not going to save you. Your education can't save you. Your own philosophy is not going to save you. And your religion can't save you. It's only by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, laying before him and say, God, I am a sinner. I have done evil in your sight. Forgive me, Jesus. I want a new life. It's only by his blood. He became our sacrifice. With all eyes closed all across this room, you know who you are. If you are lost in your sins this morning, the Bible says that the message of the cross is foolish to you. And the reason that is, is because you've rejected the only way to be saved. And the only way that it will become power to you is for you to turn from your ways and to turn to God. So I want you to search your hearts for the next few moments. And if you are not right with God, you are lost, you have not been born again, you've been backslidden, or you're saying that you're a Christian, but you are not living right, and you will know you are in rebellion. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to get right with God. Today is a day to allow his blood to wash you clean, to take your sins as far as the east is from the west, and to make you white like snow. If that is you, I want you to listen to this prayer, and I want you to plead with Jesus to have mercy on you. As Jesus was walking through the streets of Jerusalem, there was a man that was blind, and he wanted to be healed. And you hear his cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And some of you here today, you're lost in your sin, and you need to cry out to Jesus like that blind man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. God, I pray that you would convict every single heart in this room and make them right before you. Do whatever you have to do, oh God. 
Take the blinders off. Devil, loose them and let them go. I speak salvation. I speak the Holy Spirit right now to come and to whisper into your ear, get right with God. Jesus, only you save. Stretch forth your hand to seek and save the lost this morning because that's why you came, that's why you died, and that's why you rose again. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. If you can please stand up to your feet with me this morning. If your heart is hungry for more of God, if your heart is hungry to get right with Jesus and you want to be born again, you want to be discipled, you want to learn how to live out this Christian life, we have prayer workers right here. Pastor Berto, Pastor Griselda, during the fellowship time, they will love to pray with you. In just a little moment, we're going to have that time. And I urge you, I encourage you, come and meet with them if you're not right with God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look to your neighbor say, praise the Lord. He is good, and what he does is good. Amen? Hallelujah. At this time, we're going to recite our confession of faith. If you would like a handout so that you could read it right in front of you. I know maybe sometimes it's hard to see. If you could just wave your hand in the air, our ushers will give it to you. The reason why we confess this every week is because it's our Christian worldview. It's how we as believers see our world. All the social issues, everything going on throughout the nations, everything happening in America, everything that's happening in our society, our generation, is viewed through the lens of Scripture. And this is what we confess, and this is what we are going to confess until Jesus comes back. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's do this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment of all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give him praise. And get ready to mingle. Go greet somebody that you don't know.
morning, make some noise. Welcome to Metro Praise International. We are so happy to see your beautiful faces here. And if you can't tell, we love, we love, we love people. You are our corazón. You are our heart. We love you. Keep coming. Our two main services here at Metro Praise are every Sunday at 7, at 10 a.m. That's our first main service every Sunday at 10 a.m. And if this is your first time here, if you are a first time visitor, if you could just wave your hand in the air, thank you. If you did not receive one of these at the door, we would like for you to receive one. So if you need one, wave your hand, the ushers will give one to you. If you could please fill out that bottom portion, cut it off, put it in the drop box. One of our pastors would love to connect with you throughout this week, amen. Let's give it up for our first time visitors in this place. We welcome you, keep coming back. Our second uh, service that we have here at MPI is Elevate. Every Friday at 7 p.m., they are rocking it out. And I want to call up Pastor Ellie Hernandez, our youth pastor. Come on up. He's got some awesome announcements for you for Elevate and what they're going to be doing in this next season. Awesome, guys. Just so you guys know, this Friday coming up, everybody say this Friday is our E-Night, our very first E-Night of the school year. Come on, give everybody a hand, hand clap. Get caught in mouth so quickly up in here. But yeah, so this Friday is our E-Night and it's an exciting time. It's our back to school party and we are inviting all the youth of the community, all, our, all the youth that come to our youth group, we're inviting all their friends. And so if you know any youth, you know anybody from the age of 11 to 18, please invite them. Let them know. Give them my number. And if you, if you don't have my number, get my number after service. If they need a ride, tell me after service because we want to blow this place up in Jesus' name. Amen? Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ali and his wife, Leilani. They are blowing it up. Awesome team. Come on out. Check it out if you have not done so. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Say loving God. Loving people. And those are the two greatest commandments we know that Jesus gave us in Scripture, and so we want to live that out. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. And the way that we want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus, is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. And our schedule for the quarter is behind your handout. So please take a look at that if you're new. Excuse me, I'm not sure what's going on with my voice. I think my husband is rubbing off on me. <clears throat> But um, if you are new, this is the schedule right behind your handouts. And I want to give you just a snapshot of this week of what we have happening at MPI. And I'm just going to come a little closer because I don't see very well. Uh, this Sunday, today, worship team, it's for 201 Deacons and Elder. If you're in that group, 1230 after church with Ishmael. Come on, make some noise for the team raising up new people. Uh, this Wednesday is King's Kids, infant to 11 years old. If you have children that age or you know somebody that has a child that age, please invite them. That is the life group for children, amen? That is their time to come, be disciple, learn about Jesus. And the beauty of it is they could be dropped off at 6.30 and then you can just simply pick them up at 8, 8.30, I think eight o'clock, and then just enjoy your evening, have a date night, do some laundry, etc. Friday, we have our adult Bible study. Come on, what, what? They blew up this past week that a whole bunch of visitors Upper room, glory, tongues of fire coming down. I mean, they had a blast. So if you want a place to connect, you want to go to that Bible study. They are on fire. Amen. 7 p.m. And then Saturday evangelism. Somebody say evangelism. 
all ages, 5 p.m. If you have not shared your faith yet on the streets, I encourage you to do so. It just does something to us, and we are commanded to do it. It makes you bold. It makes you more confident to be able to answer people's questions and to stick up for your faith. Somebody say amen. Come on. So join one of those this week. It's happening. And then our mentor stage of the strategy is um, twofold as well. It's welcome to your new life. It's our 101. Our leaders will take you through this. If you are new to the church, we encourage you to find a leader and ask them to take you through this. If you are really serious about living for God, we want you to get plugged in. And then when you're done with the 101, you get into the 201 class with Pastor Jared every Sunday morning. He's just dropping it like it's hot, how disciples are supposed to live, you know, being raised up to be a leader. Every believer being a leader. Amen. Come on. We want you to get in that. And then we're going to send you out to share Jesus with the world around you. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches here in the city and 500 across the world. If you believe we can do that by God's grace, say amen this morning. Come on. If you guys want to turn it to your phones to givingbook.org, you can check that out right now. Givingbook.org is the website for the Disciples Giving Book, and we have been using that book to get all of our tithe and offering lessons from. And today, I'm going to be in section three of the book, which is on stewardship. And lesson five in that section is stewards can receive more from God. And if you're all fancy schmancy with your phones, you can keep that link there and also turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. Stewardship is the wise management of everything. Say everything God has entrusted us with. How many of you guys believe God has given you something in this life? The air that we breathe comes from God. Our families, our jobs, all of our material possessions, that comes from God, and he wants us to be good stewards. He wants us to manage everything in our life wisely. So let's read 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 through 22, and it will also be on the screen. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. How many of you guys want to do what pleases God? By keeping his commands, we are able to please him. And we don't have to let our hearts condemn us. And this whole topic of stewardship goes right in there with it. And if you think of being a manager, you know, just think about your job. You know, God has given and trusted you that with that job to manage it well. When I used to work at a bank, I was in charge of being behind the teller line. And I assisted the supervisor. And we knew that every quarter we were going to get audited. Somebody say audited. And I had to be a faithful steward and manage and make sure all of our files, all of our records, everything was up to par. So we have to make sure that everything that we do in our lives reflects the same way on your job and your family. So our main points here is, number one, have confidence in God. The opposite of fear, worry, and condemnation is faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because he only rewards and blesses those who believe he is a good God. Therefore, don't let your heart condemn you when you are asking for things according to his will. 
If you're in here and you're allowing fear, fear of the unknown, worrying about your current struggles, your current situation, I want to encourage you to live a life of faith. We can come boldly before God and make requests because we know that we have confidence in him because we're asking according to his will. If you're asking God for a job or a raise, that's not an evil thing. How many of you guys know that's not an evil thing? God wants to give us those things. So we have to have confidence when we're coming before God, making these requests and not allowing fear and worry to take over. Number two, receive anything we ask. The reason why the believer is promised to receive anything they ask from God is because they pray according to his will. Align your desires with God's heart to receive all he has for you to accomplish your purpose. So we have to come into alignment. Everybody just move your hands, go whoosh. Come into alignment, your will with God's heart. And if we pray God's heart, we have to know his word in order to pray God's heart. We don't want to just pray, God, make me a millionaire, make me a millionaire so I could just be on TV or have my own reality show. That's not our heart. We want to be blessed on our job. We want to be prosperous. We want to have an education. Some of you guys want to finish school or go back to school. Get your GED. God wants you to be prosperous. So let's be faithful in that. Amen. Number three, keep God's commands. As disciples of Christ, we are to please God by keeping all his commands, not just because we have to, but because we love to. And that's where the relationship aspect of our faith comes into play. This is not a religion. We're not just following these rules, these, these lists of commands because it's obligated for us. It comes through a relationship with Jesus. If we love him, the Bible says, we're going to obey his commands. And when our children love us, they obey us because there's a safety there. We have relationship there with them. Amen? So here's a summary. Have faith in God to receive all that he has for you. Somebody say, have faith, not fear. Application number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and your offerings, anything you give after your tithe. And that amount is between you and the Lord. Let's be faithful with that. Let's continue to grow in that area. Amen. And thank you so much for those that do. You guys are so generous. Metro Praise is extremely generous. And we love, love, love you. Number two, don't let your heart condemn you because of unbelief, fear, or worry, but rather have full faith and confidence in God that he will meet your needs. We are not to fret. We're not supposed to make things happen. We need to just be still, have faith in God. We're not supposed to be lazy and just sit back and let everything fall apart. We have to be proactive. We need to have put our faith to action following his commands. Amen? Amen? And number three, please God by obeying his commands. This is key right here. We are not to be man pleasers. We are to be God pleasers. The Bible says the fear of man will prove to be a snare. So you're not doing things to please man. You're not doing things to please your life group leader. You're not doing things to please your pastors. You're doing things in the body of Christ with all that God has entrusted to you to please him. Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me as we confess this powerful, powerful confession. On the count of three, one, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Amen. Let's get ready to receive this morning our tithes and offerings we have our envelopes that specifically have everything designated on there. We believe that a tithe, again, is 10% of your total income. 
Anything that you give above that is your offering. And here at MPI, we designate that towards missions or towards our building. And so if you could simply write that on your envelope, that will make sure that it goes to the proper place. And we just wanna thank you again for your generosity. For those of you that don't know, we are taking a Philippines missions trip at the end of this year. So if you, if you have made a pledge, please keep on giving, write off, uh, mark off missions on the envelope. And if you have not started giving, ask Lord what amount he wants you to commit every month to give towards the Philippines missions trip, amen? Let's recite Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your abundant love, your abundant provision. We give you praise, glory, and thanksgiving this morning for providing for us. And we come before your throne of grace, God, in confidence and boldness. And we make requests. We know that you have entrusted us to be stewards. And so we want to be faithful in that. And we know that we could ask more of you, God, and not be condemned. And so we ask for uh, increase on the job with raises. We ask for doors of employment to open for those that don't have jobs right now. We ask, Lord, for all the things that we need in this life to function successfully and effectively to move your kingdom forward on this earth. Bless your people here, every person that faithfully gives to you. Increase them and prosper them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. How many are ready for a hot topic? Good morning, good morning. We are so excited that you're here this morning starting a new sermon series. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I have the great honor and privilege of introducing one of our awesome pastors to preach in just a moment. The man, the God. <laughs> you were so ready. <laughs> If y'all didn't see that, I can't even go through it right now. But anyways, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to be introducing in just a second the man of God to preach this morning. He's a great pastor here, Jared Walker, who's enjoying sitting next to his beautiful wife right now. Uh, this is the sermon series text for the entire 
whole month of September, the rest of the remaining, or August rather, all of September, and a portion of October. So I want you guys coming every week. We're going to be going through that list of hot topics. Today's hot topic is abortion. So, brother, go with me to the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Oh, man, I'm so happy you guys are here this morning. How many are you enjoying the last days of summer break, parents? Some of your kids already go back already? Does anybody kids go to school? All right, y'all go to school? Have y'all go to school yet? No, when do you guys start? Okay, okay. And then we got college students starting in September. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the last parts of the summer. Let's look at this passage. We're going to be starting off every week this same way. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Say these three words together. Preach the word. One more time. Preach the word. Thank you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now look at these four things, uh, rather three things we're supposed to do. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. So look at this, everybody. Please look up at me. So one-third of our preaching from this pulpit at any given time throughout the year should be correcting, right? So if you come to our church and you hear a correcting message, that's pretty good. Then the other third of the gospel preaching pie should be what? Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Come on, say it like you mean it. Rebuke. Yes, one of our favorite words around here. When I was in Bible college, I was at a Bible college that loved to talk about rebuking so much that when I talked to my other friends from Bible colleges, they said we've never seen that verb used so much, you know. Like, we're rebuking. I'll rebuke you. I just got rebuked. Man, I don't, you know, I don't like that rebuke. Like, they heard, they heard the, word, the word rebuke so many times, and that's kind of like Metro Praise. But it should just be about one-third, one-third. And what's the other third? Encouragement. Look at your neighbor. Say, we love you so very, very much. You can make it. Come on, look at your other neighbor. Say, you can make it. Don't give up. God's on your side. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Okay, and, and you should hear that in our life groups and in the preaching. Okay, so in, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and in the kingdom, we're called to preach the word. Three things we're going to do, correct, rebuke, and encourage with what? Great patience and careful instruction. So while we are doing this, at this season, we do not want you to feel like we're just yelling at you. Abortion is wrong. We're having a big abortion protest right now. You know, homosexuality is a sin. Listen to us roar. You know, you know, immigration, La Migra's coming for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Half kid. Like, like immigration, like half the church will be missing on that Sunday. No, no, we all legal up in this place, right? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you legal. <laughs> Only a gringo could get away with that in a Latino congregation, man. I tries, I tries. Well, a gringo gets a clap this morning, huh? It's like, yeah, that's my gringo. That's my gringo. That's my gringo. Here I am, yes. But we're not just going to be shouting out these things. We want to do it just like the word said. We want to do it as the Bible's talking about here with patience 
and great patience, not just like, okay, sort of, you got patience. We want to have great, big patience during this sermon series and careful instruction. That's why all of our notes are found online as well as questions that you can ask during the sermon. And at the end, we're actually going to try to answer them for you. So I'm going to show you how to find us online. Go to the Facebook page, please, uh, Ellie. We're there, Metro Praise International on Facebook. Does anybody have a Facebook? Does anybody have a life? That's a better question. Okay. Does anybody have friends? Does anybody have friends that aren't really your friends? And you've already had to, like, block some of them? Anybody like that? Anybody block me yet? I'm going to check. I'm going to check. You know what I'm saying? Have you hidden me from your feed? I'm tired of all these devotions every day. Pastor got a devotion every day. Shutting that off. Okay, so you go to your Facebook like you normally do. Type in the greatest name in the world, Metro Praise. Inter oh, look at that. Okay, now, if y'all haven't, like, said you've been here yet, you need to do that. Don't be ashamed, okay? Don't be ashamed to put on Facebook like I checked in, okay? Just, you know, every now and then do that. That, that kind of, like, makes it look cool. And then you can rate us. Oh, my gosh, five stars. How did that happen? I paid them to do that. No, I'm kidding. Half kidding. I was like, it's like, dude, five stars, five stars, five, and I'll give you a like in a McDonald's gift card or something. We got one, we got two people with one star. We got to pray for them. Amen. <laughs> don't like Metro Praise, one star. They don't like them. Like somebody, like somebody's like three stars. Like, how do you get three stars? Like, hey, you're all right, you know. Okay, anyways, we're going to get on that. So, okay, just scroll up to the top real quick, please. Just showing you about Facebook. You hit like. Now you like us. You see all the doodles that come out. Right down here, Metro Praise abortion, uh, questions about abortion. Throughout this sermon, bam, you can ask your questions right there. Now, I know some of you are disappointed because it cannot be anonymous now, right? Like we have, we will know when you ask it. But if you want to play the anonymous card, here's the trick. You just say, I have a friend who wants to know, Okay. <laughs> So, like, I have a friend who wants to know, you know, like, you know, what do I do about this? And we're going to do this every week, by the way, about everything. See, Ellie, he just liked it. Now, if you just scroll down a little bit, Alejandro, profesor, there are the sermon notes, and they're there every week, okay? No likes. That's okay. Keep on going down. The giving lesson, there every week. No likes. It's okay. It's okay. I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm, I'm getting over that. Okay. I'm okay. What, there is a like? Oh, four likes, five likes. Let's give it up. Come on for liking stuff. We like that you like stuff. Okay, now where were we at? Let's go back to the scripture now. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to preach the word in season, out of season. That means when we're on our job or in church, when we're with our friends who agree and with friends who disagree, that's what it means. And we're going to do these three things, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Okay, so as you get the information today about abortion, as you get it in, you can study and learn it for yourself. But let's say you, you eventually agree and you're like, yes, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. When you hear people with other opinions, you're going to have to kind of correct it at some times, you know. So if somebody goes, well, I don't believe that, you know, uh, we, we should tell women what to do. It's their body. It's their choice. Well, you can correct that thinking by saying, well, why is it if it's the woman's body, when the woman gets the abortion, the other body goes into the garbage, but she walks out alive? Because there's two bodies. You see, you correct that thinking. What does rebuke mean? It really means stop. So let's say you have a friend, and Nancy, she was telling you her testimony about working at the bank. 
uh, was that at the bank that someone was going to have an abortion and you guys prayed and counseled her and she stopped and did not do it, right? Walked, and she walked out the room. Oh, but she didn't, did she end up having the abortion? She walked out of the abortion room, not when you were talking. Okay, let's get the whole story straight. Come on up here. Let's give it up for the boobster boo. Can I tell you why your voice was cracking? Because you shouted during the whole time of transition. I was in the back. I was like, Nancy's on fire, man. She's like, woo! Come on, press in, press in. Woo! <laughs> oh, I love you. Quick story about that. Okay. Yes, I, my coworker, she had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. She already had a child, very young, and she just she was having troubles with her boyfriend, and they were just not going to keep this baby. Went to the abortion clinic. That morning was a Saturday. I was working. She was with her mom. I was texting her the whole time, begging her not to do it, that it was going to be okay, that she was going to get through it. She did it when she was 14 with her first. She was going to do it at 22 with her second. So I just begged and just prayed with her, and I was praying with her over the text. I talked to her the whole week prior. And she's like, I'm going, I'm here with my mom, I'm in. And then that, I didn't hear from her. And I'm like, just praying that whole time, speaking in tongues under my breath, you know, paying out the money with the teller. And then I, and then I, a little bit later, I know after I left for work, I said, what happened? She's like, I went into the room. This is all through text. I went in and she said, I couldn't do it. I just walked out, went to the car with my mom. And she's like, what happened? She's like, I want to keep the baby. Come on. Awesome. See, that's like rebuking, like don't do it. We had another girl in our, our youth group did the same thing with a, uh, a friend. She's like, don't do it, don't do it. You can give the child up for adoption. You're going to regret it. It's a baby inside of you, and, and she helped as well. So correcting is correcting bad thinking, rebuking, helping people to stop, and then encouraging. So when you see people that are pregnant and they're considering an abortion, encourage them. God will give you the strength to do this. There are agencies to help you, and literally there are dozens of them all over this city and state that will help you in adoptions agencies, okay? So we encourage them. And then we encourage singles not to have sex outside of marriage because that's the highest rate of abortion is people who are not in committed relationships but are having sex and use abortion as birth control, right? So don't start having sex till you want to have babies and babies come to happy families, amen? And we love our single moms here, but we want to support the family structure and keep that as our goal, amen? Because I know some single moms want to get married too, amen? They're like, hey, I don't want to be a single mom for long, amen? That's why we have a single men's ministry. We're raising them single men up. One day we're going to have like a dance up in the church, you know, like single men with single mamas. It's on. It is on. In a Christian godly way. I got a book, Date Like a Christian, if you need a tips, okay? Date Like a Christian. Now look at verse 3 because I got a video to play with you, uh, play for you after this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That means the stuff that's right, they're not going to want to hear it anymore. They're not going to put up with it. Come on. They're going to say, man, I don't want to put up with that. I'm going to go to another church. I don't want to hear that. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to say. Oh, pastor says abortion is wrong. He says this is wrong. You know what? Instead of proving it by the Bible, I'm just going to go to another church where they say it's right. Listen to me. Pastors can be wrong, friends. I can be wrong. You need to prove what I say right or wrong, not by opinion, but by the word of God. And God's morality is not based on popular opinion. We're not taking polls here today to ask heaven what they should be doing up there. 
Okay, we can vote on that stuff down here. Yeah, that's right. We can make immigration laws. We can make abortion laws. We can make uh, same-sex laws. But there's already been an establishment in his word. So before you get upset and just walk out and say, I want to find another teacher, I want you to hear this today. Can you show me differently in the word? Because those same teachers that may be saying it's okay to do this and okay to do that are wolves in sheep's clothing and can lead you to destruction. That's why I say lovingly, let our leaders talk to those leaders and let you be present so you can hear it. Is that why? Because we like debates? No, we don't like to debate over silly stuff. We're here so you can hear the truth in regards to what you think someone else is teaching. you got a Facebook video. You've got this. Share it with a leader. We'll help you study through it. And ultimately, you are going to make that decision. No one's going to force it on you, and you're going to stand before God on that decision. I'm just here to say that I believe these things have been true. They are true. They're clearly true to anybody with an open mind. Mind, and it may come with the cost, it may come with the sacrifice, but if you know the truth, the truth will set you free, baby. So instead, to suit their own desires, they gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They turn away from the truth and turn aside to, okay, can I tell you how some people are making this right now? Like we say, you know, this is a sin. They say, well, my God would never think that's a sin. My God would never do that. You know what you've just done? You have created your own Jesus. Your Jesus is a myth. If your Jesus does not have a hell, you're playing mythological Jesus. Because the real Jesus has a hell, and he says people go there. It's not something to laugh about. It's not for me just to yell at you about, you're going to hell. No, it is a valid truth. Just like you keep going east and you don't stop, you're going to run into the lake. That's not me being mean. That's, you know, a stop sign. It's not trying to be personally offensive to you. It's just telling you, you're going to go into the lake. You could tear down that guardrail and say, I don't think that's a good guardrail. Well, you keep going. You go down the guardrail. You go past the stairs. Well, you are going to end up where? In the lake. And you can say, I don't like the word of God. I don't like that preacher. I don't like this. I don't like, and you just keep on going down that way. You will find that it leads to destruction. And the Bible says in Isaiah that in the last days, people will call good evil and evil good. They'll switch the script. Uh, they'll, they'll switch it, and I think that's the time we're in. And so i got to play this video for you, and then I'll read the last part of this. But uh, there is a famous statistician in the world who interviewed a 1,000 pastors in just America and asked them some questions, and I want you to see uh, what they said to them. These were pastors, and this is going to fit right into this. Thank you. Just with the theologically conservative pastors, what we're finding is that when we ask them about all the key issues of the day, they're telling us, yeah, the Bible speaks to every one of these issues. And then we ask them, well, are you teaching your people what the Bible says about those issues? And the numbers drop from more than 90% who will say, yeah, the Bible speaks to it, to less than 10% of our pastors who say they will speak to it. Well, so why is there that disconnect between, because theologically conservative pastors uh, say this is, the Bible is God's word, it speaks to issues of faith and practice, so why, why don't they, why wouldn't they, why don't they address these people? Simple answer, in, in our research we've asked pastors, how would you know if your church is successful? And there are five factors that the vast majority of pastors turn to. Attendance, giving, number of programs, number of staff, and square footage. Now, all of, wow. those, all of those things are good measures, except for one tiny fact, which is that Jesus didn't die for any of them. And controversy keeps people from being in the seats. Controversy keeps people from giving money. Controversy keeps people from attending the programs. And so as they look at things, their tendency is to say, well, that's not part of my mission. 
My mission is to bring in more people and to get them to understand certain things that I feel they should know. But apparently those controversial things are not among the things they want people to know. Hmm. Everybody go, hmm. See, it's one thing if you go to a church and they're like, yeah, man, we don't think homosexuality is a sin. Go for it. It's another thing, you know, you go to a church and like, yeah, abortion's okay, go for it. But the issue that I have today is that there's people who believe exactly what I believe. They believe it to the T. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. Pornography is wrong. Yes, there is an eternal punishment, a place called hell. The Bible speaks about uh, drunkenness and addictions and all of these things, but yet they won't talk about it. Those are the ones I'm concerned about. And I'm concerned about you as a Christian today in this church as a disciple. Are you getting to be numb? Because the world is bombarding you with all of their pressure to the point where you're backing down. You're going, yeah, I do believe this is wrong, but I don't want to say anything on my job. Yeah, I don't want to say anything to my family because it's going to start a fight. No, I don't want to say anything to my close friend because, you know, their daughter's lesbian. I don't, you know, I don't, oh, man, I don't want to say, I don't want her to get offended. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being rude. But here's the problem. 90% of pastors say, I still believe there's a right and a wrong, but I'm not willing to preach on it. Only 10% of pastors, thank God we're not alone. Amen? We're not alone. There's good churches in this city and in this nation who say, we're not afraid to talk about it. But here's the thing. How are you? If that's the way pastors are, I bet you that's the way a lot of Christians are. Come on, if 90% of the pastors won't talk about it, I would probably say the same thing. Probably 90% of Christians don't want to talk about it. What do most people say? I don't want to talk about politics or, hey, let's leave that alone. Let's go back to the Cubs, man. Let's go back to this. I'm not here to say you're supposed to be out there in their face to the point you get fired. I'm just saying if they can talk about their worldly opinions, their ideas, you know what I'm talking about, on the job or with your friends and family, why can't you express yours the same way? Right? Why can't you freely express it the same way? If they could talk to you about their sex, their, their whatever they do with their girlfriends, boyfriends, why can't you encourage them to be married? You know? If they can be vulgar and dirty, if they can do that, why can't you talk to them and say, hey, please don't take the name of the Lord in vain around me. Like, hey, that's just the way I, you know, does my ears look like a garbage can? I mean, I don't need to hear that. Right? And if they can say, well, I'm cool with this, I'm cool with this, why can't you just say this is what I believe? You know what? I have lost some friends over the years for standing up for what I believe, but I will tell you what, I have earned the respect of a lot more than I have lost. I have neighbors that are Roman Catholic, don't agree with me on everything. I have a friend that's my next-door neighbor that's from India and was a Buddhist. And you know what? We talked about those things, and we were still friends. You know why? Because I was honest with him. I was respectful towards him. I didn't have to yell at him and cause a World War III or religious holy war. I could simply say, this is what I believe. And you know what? There are many gay and lesbian, bi bisexual that join us in this church all the time. And they say, you know what, Pastor? I at least appreciate the way you speak to me and the way you... Uh, explain it from the Bible because now I know what you believe the Bible says and at least they can say that amen instead of me avoiding it not trying to offend if I offend you by my personality my hairdo my shorts hey that's one thing but I'm just here to speak the word amen look at this last scripture in closing I'm sorry but I just had to preach this a little bit I'm, he's got the rest of this service 10 minutes and I'm coming back no I'm kidding somebody's upset with me right now they will turn their ears away from truth and a turn aside to miss. But you, everybody say, but you. 
Come on, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Endure persecution. It's not always easy. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the word of God when you know God opens that door. And if they say, well, nobody's perfect, and they want to point back at your sin, go, okay, but at least I admit mine's a sin. I'm not going around going pornography pride day. You know, what would you do if they had a day called that pornography pride day? Right? So if they say, oh, I saw you do this, I, hey, you're right. Maybe you've seen me mess up. But I'm admitting it's a sin. I'm not proud of it. So you do the work of evangelist. That means to spread the word. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Would you all stand to your feet as we get ready to pray? And Pastor Jared is going to preach to us today about the hot topic of abortion. Father, we ask that you will open up our hearts and our ears to hear what your word says. Even though at times it may be uncomfortable, I pray that we will be obedient to it. And Lord, if there is any here that have ever had an abortion, as there's been leaders that have confessed it in the past, I pray that they will be forgiven today, made new, Lord, without condemnation or judgment. And if there's ever been boyfriends or husbands that's been a part of that, that they themselves will change. And that, Lord, today as a culture, as a group of people living in a wonderful city, we will be salt and light, and we will speak up for the unborn, and we will have a ministry to the abortion clinics and to the single moms and to those that are struggling in this area and we will love them with grace and truth in Jesus name can everybody say amen amen give it up for Pastor Jared all right let's get right into it turn in your Bibles to Psalm 82 turn to Psalm 82 This is the feel-good message of the year, folks. If anyone here is pro-choice, pro-abortion, uh, this message is for you. If you say, I'm pro-life and I don't plan on getting an abortion, I'd never do that, this message is still for you because it's not merely enough to have an opinion about abortion. I'm going to build my case, though, and, and state why that is. But let's look at Psalm 82. I'm going to read the whole psalm, so pretend I'm an audio Bible. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge of the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know it teaches that there's only one God. And if you begin to acknowledge other gods and worship other gods, then you get in big trouble fast. Amen. There's only one true God. And yet here in Psalm 82, who are these gods in question? That's a good question. And you may wonder what this has to do with abortion, but just bear with me. In Psalm 82, the gods are not literally like divine beings or demigods like Hercules. But it refers to government leaders. You see, in Israel, they were under a form of government called theocracy. And essentially what theocracy is, is religion and civil law are mixed. And God is the head of the government. 
And so there are judges in Israel, just like there's judges in our land, and these judges are appointed by God, and they're given divine authority by God to judge and, and lead his people. The problem, however, is God is now rebuking them. Why? Because they fail to def uh, they defend the unjust. They show partiality to the wicked. They fail to defend the weak and the fatherless. They're doing injustice. They're taking the authority God gave them and abusing and misusing it. And I think the same could be said of our nation today. Romans 13 teaches that all government authority is God's servant. Everyone say God's servant. So look at our land today. President Obama is God's servant. The United States Supreme Court is God's servant. Whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, they are God's servant. It doesn't mean they're right with God. It doesn't mean they're doing what God wants. It simply means that the power invested in them comes from Almighty God. And they are answerable to God for how they use that authority. And in 1973, our judges in our land did something horrible with their God-given authority. They sanctioned one of the most unjust and wicked practices known to man, and that's abortion. Let me give you some quick stats on abortion. In 1973, the Supreme Court ruled, ruled on the case Roe versus Wade, and in their ruling, they declared abortion a fundamental right in all 50 states. And that opened the floodgates. It's been 41 years since, and in those past years, 56 million abortions have happened. And an average year, 1.5 million abortions occur. That equates to about 3,500 a day and two per minute. So think, but in the next 60 seconds, two abortions will happen. Uh, statistics say that three out of ten women will have had an abortion by the age 35, uh, 45. And other statistics even say that's one out of three. So think about it. There's people in this room, one out of three women. And then the fathers as well. Someone you know has probably had an abortion. This minute, two abortions will happen, and those are unborn children. But I want to build my case here because some of you are looking at me, well, What's wrong with that? I, I get that that's a lot of abortions, but, you know, sometimes, you know, women, they just have problems and, you know, they, they're not ready for a baby or they have medical issues. I mean, isn't it just a regular procedure? Uh, not, not quite. Let me depict abortion for you, shall I? First, let's look at this definition. This comes from the Oxford Dictionary. It's a pretty authoritative uh, dictionary. Most definitions are going to read something like this. Abortion is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, most often performed during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy. Now, I have a problem with that definition. Termination of a pregnancy. What makes a woman pregnant except that there is a living being growing inside of her? In order to terminate the pregnancy, that baby has to come out of her. And the only way that baby will come out of her is by a violent eviction, either by surgery or chemicals, unto death. Had they added that to the definition, I'd be in total agreement with it. But that is how abortion is presented, termination of a pregnancy. It doesn't say anything about a baby dying. It doesn't say anything uh, very graphic. I want to give you some depictions of abortion. And before I do that, there's some pictures. And you're going to want to shield your little one's eyes, perhaps, if there's any kiddos in the room. I'm going to show you th three kinds of abortion. These are done commonly according to trimester. The first is suction and aspiration abortion. This is where the mother's cervix, you can see the chart here. The mother's cervix is dilated so that a cannula, a hollow plastic tube, can be inserted into the uterus. 
It is connected to a vacuum pump. This vacuum suction is 29 times more powerful than a household vacuum cleaner. The abortion runs the tip of the cannula along the surface of the uterus, causing the baby to be dislodged and, su and sucked into the tube, either whole or in pieces. And that's, that's how it looks. And then what's the result? Let's scroll down. That is uh, the outcome of suction aspiration. And there's something similar called suction curatage, but we won't discuss that. That's first trimester. That's one of the most common forms of surgical abortion in our country. And I'm not even mentioning plan B, morning after pills. Second trimester, they do something that's called saline injection or salt poisoning. You could do this as early as 16 weeks. It's when a needle full of salt solution is injected through the mother's abdomen so as to reach the baby's sac. The baby is not merely poisoned when he swallows the solution. Rather, the outer layer of his skin is also burned off. The baby will also not die right away. It usually takes over an hour for him to die. The mother usually gives birth to a dead or dying baby 24 hours later. And that is the outcome. Saline injection. Third trimester. And uh, what I'm about to show you is dilation and extraction. This is illegal in most places, but it's legal in some places. And women will drive very far to get these abortions if they really want them to go to other states where it's legal. This is a form of abortion where essentially the child is delivered backwards. Normally a child is delivered head first. They deliver the child feet first. Up to the neck, jam scissors into the head to open up the head, and then there's a, a vacuum tube inserted in the head to suck the brain out, collapse the skull so that the child could come out. And that is the outcome, I would imagine there was some, some torquing there. The child's completely decapitated. And that's legal. And that's a woman's right of choice in this country, isn't it? Some of you are upset at the pictures that this happens. I see the looks on your faces. And some of you are upset with me for showing them. But what's worse, that this happens or that I depict it? That this is evil or that I expose the evil? And the fact is, these pictures are powerful and graphic, and yet in abortion clinics all across the country, there's protesters with these signs, and moms and dads walk in, and they still do it, you know? And there's women who are feminist pro-choicers, and they see this stuff, and they know, and they're still for it. They're still for abortion on demand without, uh, without apology. So, so what is it? Why, why, why don't we get the point across? If that's not a decapitated human being, what is it? They say a picture's worth, worth a thousand words, but when folks are deceived, it's hard to become undeceived. When you've believed a lie so long, it's a woman's right, abortion is a personal choice. When you believe the lie so long and you keep hearing it and you keep hearing it, it goes unchallenged, you start to believe it. And it, and it takes a miracle of God to, for you to become undeceived at that point. And so a picture may be worth a thousand words, but I want to share one word, and that's God's word. Amen. I'm going to frame this message by contrasting what the culture says. And what I mean by the culture is like politicians, internet, Hollywood, music, best-selling authors, TV hosts. Contrast what the culture says and what God says. First, I want to focus on the unborn child or the fetus. And fetus just means little one. But in this sermon, we'll just say unborn child. This is what the culture says about the unborn child. 
that unborn children are not yet human, but are merely clumps of tissue, fish-like creatures, or parasites. Doesn't that language make you cringe? Even in light of what you saw, does that language not make you cringe? That you could look at that and say, that's a clump of tissue. When you go to the clinic, that's often the language you hear to console you. Oh, we're just moving a clump of tissue. It's, it's no biggie. It's not a baby yet. Or a fish-like creature, because you know in those very early stages, they kind of, you know, they got that shape to them, and they almost look fish-like or reptilian, but they're not. Or parasites. And I've heard feminist women, you know, I don't get in Facebook debates often, but when I do, I just want to rip my hair out at some of the things people say, that this baby has no right to use up my body like it's a tick or a tapeworm or something. I don't even want to entertain these, this nonsense, to be honest with you. This is dehumanizing language. If you can make this child to be something other than or less than human, then you could kill it. Because we could cut up a chicken and we're like, yay, chicken. You cut up a person and they're like, no, you monster. That's, that's how we justified the African slave trade. Making Africans to be less than human, apes, devolved creatures. That's how we justified Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. Jews are related to rats. And today this dehumanizing language is used. This is what the culture says. But what God says according to Genesis 9, 6 is that whoever sheds human blood, by humans their blood be shed. For in the image of God... As God made mankind. That's what God says. Contrasting the culture with God. Here's what God says about unborn children. First, that they're miracles. An unborn child is a miracle. Albeit a common miracle. Happens every day. Millions of children are conceived. It's a very natural thing. And so we kind of take it for granted. But think about this. A man and woman come together in a moment of intimacy. The seed and the, the, the sperm and the egg come together. And a life is created. A life is created. Someone with a soul, someone with a destiny is created out of this act. And it's miraculous. And we can't even trace its path. You know, the Bible speaks of God's wisdom. Who could trace this path? How could we even perceive this? We could not have invented this way of bringing life if we tried. It's a miracle in the womb. And Psalm 139 speaks of it in verses 13 through 16. I won't say all of it, but it's God's miracle. It says that God knits us together in the womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God in the womb, that we are made by God in the secret place, that we are woven together, that his eyes see our unformed body, and that was in the days before ultrasound. And he goes on, says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Someone with a God-given destiny a miracle is created. Second, God says that children are a blessing. Unborn children are a blessing. My wife and I are expecting our second son next month, and we consider him a blessing. And a blessing is a good thing. How many like blessings? Who doesn't like blessings? Why are you here if you don't like blessings? It's a good thing, and it's a sign of God's favor. And Psalm 127 plainly says, Children are a blessing from the Lord. But there are certain circumstances where pro-abortion advocates will say children are not a blessing but a burden. What about cases of rape? 
What about if the mother is poor and uneducated? What about a birth defect? How could you possibly say it's a blessing? How dare you invoke God in those kind of circumstances? Here's, here's I have to give a, a good response to this because the rape exception especially is, is always going to come up that somehow an abortion will take away the pain of rape, which I think is insane. Children are a blessing. Here's a few reasons why. Because if you consider children a burden, the first thing is that it's prejudice. It's prejudice to the child. It says to, to the unborn child, you'll never be anything. You'll never be anything. We've already seen your future. The Bible says our days were ordained by God, but we've seen your future and it looks bleak, so it's better we kill you now. It says to the mother, you're an unfit mother because of your background, because of the places you've been, because of the mistakes you made, you cannot be a good mother. And furthermore, what does that say about the culture we live in? It says, kid, we're such a heartless world. This culture we've created, it's better off that we kill you now to spare you from living in the heartless society we created for you. Isn't that what we're saying? It's prejudice to the mother and child. We are not in the place of God to ordain the days of the child to say it's just going to be poverty and hardship, to say that you can't rise above harsh circumstances and humble beginnings. Secondly, the rare cases do not justify the vast majority. Statistics say that less than 1% of abortions happen due to rape. What is, what's the other 99%? Casual sex, hookups, booty calls, condom broke. But does that really justify murder? If, if a man violates a woman and rapes her, what did the child do to deserve death? If two people just, just drunk and hook up and, the, and, one of them, and the woman gets pregnant, what did the child do to deserve death? And that would be my next point. It's never right to kill the innocent. That I should not be punished for what someone else did that I had nothing to do with. And the same for the child who hasn't done anything right or wrong yet. And the third point is that life is inherently good. Life is inherently good. Life is a gift from God. Let's go back to the beginning. When God made the universe and when God made the human race, he said it was very good. Now you have to think, God is omniscient, all-knowing. He knows the future. He knows that someday Hitler will exist. He knows that cancer will exist. He knows that sin will enter the world and create chaos, and yet he does not abort the world. He does not abort the human race. But he looks at his creation and says it is very good. And I believe the same is true when a new life is created. Notwithstanding bad things that may happen or bad things we do, the very fact you exist is a gift from God. The very fact that you bear God's image, that's a good thing. And I do want to invoke God in those tough cases, rape cases, poverty cases. Because I believe it's a sign of God's favor that in the midst of our sin, our folly, our rebellion, God would still bequeath us a good thing. Something very good. And if we could see it as a blessing, then we have an opportunity to look in the face of someone who looks just like us, who will call us mommy or daddy and want to be just like us. And God, with this very good thing he gives us, will have an opportunity for, for purpose and love. You wouldn't find in any other place on earth being a parent. And I'll just say this. A poor parent could be a good parent. Doesn't take money to be a good parent. Doesn't take education to be a good parent. I mean, we're just trying to, aren't we just trying to uh, take out the lowest rung of society? 
If we're saying poor, uneducated women and, and, and these kind of folks, only certain type of people can be good parents and other types that are not good parents, help us, Lord. But I say to you that a poor parent could be a good parent. An uneducated parent can be a good parent. A young parent could be a good parent. And every child is a blessing, says God. Third, God says that they're fully human. They're fully human. That every human being bears the image of God. That's plainly said. But some people argue that the child is not yet human. This is get a little theological, but I want to go over this quickly. I believe there are three traits that show that it's what makes humans human. It's what displays the image of God. I think there's three things that make us different from the animal kingdom. Number one is spirituality. Second is morality. Third is reason. These are three things that human beings have that other creatures do not, and it displays the image of God in them. And I believe that even unborn children, though not fully developed in these things, exhibit it. For instance, they have spirituality. They have the ability, though not fully developed, to, to know God. And that is uh, displayed in Psalm 8, verse 2, where it says, From the mouths of infants you have ordained praise, that even infants through their action, even their cries are praise unto the Lord. Jeremiah 1, 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Again, the child in this stage of development may not be in a place where it can know God, but God knows it, him or her. Luke 1, 15, and, and verses 40 through 45 speak of John the Baptist as a child in the womb being filled with the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, they have moral accountability. They don't have the opportunity yet to do right or wrong, but David says to God in Psalm 51, 6, that you have desired truth even from the womb that that's what God wanted for us. And then, of course, there's reason. Now, again, these things are not realized for unborn children, but how many know they're not realized for a lot of other people as well, children who are born? There's a man who teaches ethics, Peter Singer, and he advocates for killing children up to one year outside of the womb after birth because they do not yet have reason and will the way that older folks have. That's ageism. And by that token, we could start killing senile old folks and uh, people with retardation and a number of other people as well because they too have not yet realized these functions. But children do have them. And there's also a scientific argument for it, and I don't have time to get into that, but some would say, oh, it's just an embryo. It's a human embryo. Amen? It, geneticists, and I have a quote here, but I don't have the time. The geneticists, they look at it, and they know it's not a fish. They know it's not a dog. They know it's not a cat. When they look at the human embryo or the zygote, they see this is thoroughly human, the genetic makeup. So that's science and scripture speaking of the humanness of the unborn child. Fourth, there, God says that the unborn child is our neighbor. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Having established the humanness, any human being who bears God's image is your neighbor. The unborn child is your neighbor. And Jesus gives a great illustration of how we are to treat our neighbors in the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a man by the side of the road, beaten, left for dead, and it's the good neighbor who comes alongside him and helps him in his trouble. And we too are to help our unborn neighbors in their trouble. And lastly, God says that unborn children are the least of these. 
Jesus loves the poor and the voiceless people of society. He was always reaching out to them. He loves the poor and the disenfranchised so much that he says in Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That's how much he identifies with them. And he goes on to say, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And he sends those people to hell. And I can't think of anyone, a more oppressed and hated and victimized people group in the United States than the unborn child. They're defenseless, they're voiceless, they're at the mercy of their parents and at a cruel society, and Jesus considers them the least of these. And what we do unto them, we do unto him. Moving on, let's look at what the culture and what God says about abortion itself, the act itself. Let's make this contrast. The culture says that abortion is health care, a women's right, and a political issue. Let me break this down. Starting with this idea that abortion is health care. Have you ever heard something like that before? And the, I, I remember hearing it all over in the 2012 debates. Uh, you know, Obama and Romney, I kept hearing that over and over. Abortion is health care. Abortion is health care. Abortion is health care. Um, and that stemmed from the, from the idea that women might die from complications or illnesses during pregnancy unless they get an abortion. I have a few responses to that. I'm not a medical doctor, so let me approach this humbly. And I'm not an expert, but let me quote a few experts, shall I? All right, the first is that the way health is regarded is, is too broadly defined. Going back to Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court made abortion a fundamental right on the basis of the woman's health. But here's how they define the woman's health. As trauma to the physical, emotional, psychological, or, fam or, or family. In those areas. Now, if you think about that, the way that's defined, you could get an abortion for any reason. That's why the floodgates are open, 56 million abortions. And in point to fact, every abortion brings physical, emotional, psychological, and family trauma. It changes your life. And now every pregnancy becomes a potential abortion by this view of what health is. Secondly, abortions do not save the mother's life. I'm going to quote some experts on this because this is a big claim, but this is making the distinction between abortion to protect the mother's health or abortion to save the mother's life. I have quotes from C. Everett Koop, the Surgeon General, who was a pediatric surgeon for 36 years. He said he never knew one instance where an abortion was necessary to save a mother's life. Alan Guttmacher, who was um, with Planned Parenthood, and he too was a doctor, and he said virtually the same thing in a longer quote. And I have a quote from a group of Ireland's top gynecologists. Any Irish folks in the house? We affirm that there are no medical circumstances justifying direct abortion. That is, no circumstance in which the life of the mother may only be saved by directly terminating the life of her unborn child. Basically, what they're saying is whether they have, they'll, they'll live and die uh, based, if it's cancer, you know, whether they live and die from the cancer. That the abortion doesn't affect that. The abortion will not save their life. Now, if you're talking about the health of the mother, there are certain conditions like uterine cancer and toxemia and ruptured uterus and ectopic pregnancy. And there are times when, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a health crisis of sorts, but it's not life or death, and there are other options than abortion. And it might call for a surgical procedure. It might call for bed rest or a number of things, but we ought to be willing to make that sacrifice for our children. 
Another point is that once again that the rare cases do not justify the common ones. So you might bring up some extreme case of like the woman, uh, it was earlier in the year, this woman in a coma and she had, um, she had a baby and she was on you know, life support and they eventually pulled the plug. And you might bring up this rare case, one in a million case, like aha, aha, aha. But that doesn't justify you and Twan running around. Hello? That ain't you. Uh, have you been in a coma lately? <laughs> do, do you have uterine cancer? No. But let me give a pastoral word here. Let me give a pastoral word. If you ever find yourself in a pregnancy that is plagued with health issues, this church, our hearts go out to you. We love you. We're here to serve you. We have so many people that will be on the spot to help you in various ways. My wife is someone who is, just has such a big heart for helping people, for giving, babysitting, doing all that stuff that uh, families might need. Our heart goes out to you. My advice is first, talk to the Lord and ask Him for a way through this that doesn't involve abortion. That doesn't involve. Some people pray like, God gave me peace about this abortion. No, He already said don't do it. He already said you shall not murder. You know, and if your pastor tries to give you peace about that, get a new pastor. And say the same thing to your doctor. Doctor, I don't want a, they call it a therapeutic abortion. They say, you know, just in case we'll abort the child to avoid complication. That's a therapeutic abortion. Say, doctor, I don't want that. I'll do anything else. If it's bed rest, I want this child to live. And there are cases. Listen, there's so many stories to tell. Uh, like, for example, it would be ectopic pregnancies where there's an emergency procedures done that would save the life of the mother. And if both lives can be saved, save both lives. And if one life can be saved, save other lives. But I see it as different than going to the abortion clinic and intentionally killing the child preemptively as opposed to an emergency procedure to save either the child or the mother. And sometimes it's one or the other. And you need to go with God on that. And we love you and we're with you. So that is my response to this whole health care myth. Uh, pregnancy is not a disease. Children are not parasites. We don't need a cure for pregnancy. Amen. And, and a, uh, a pregnancy is not, abortion is not health care because it always results in death. Let me go quickly through these next points. That it's a woman's right. Abortion is not a woman's right because it's a men's issue as well. Even though one in three women have abortions, where's the dad? Where's the dad? They're either for it or against it. And if they're for it, they're relieving themselves of their fatherly duties. And if they're against it, they're being robbed of their fatherly rights. And then the idea that it is a right, it's a made-up right. God's law says you shall not murder. I have a feeling we're closing up. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's look to some of these questions here. Let's give it up for Pastor Jared. Amen. All the notes are there for you. Adam Anthony asked the question on behalf of a friend. Um, I would like to know if an abortion, the friend was asking if the abortion would be okay for a 10-year-old or 12-year-old child who became pregnant because of incest. I think that would kind of go back to what you were saying, but go ahead and answer that. We don't kill the... Uh, Anything but abortion. The kid did not do anything to deserve it. And if 
I can't imagine a 10 to 12 year old girl as a victim of incest um, being in the best place to parent. And if she feels that way, she could adopt that child and someone will love that child. Maybe someone in this church. Amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to close out the service. Jared and I are going to stay up here, and so of our altar workers and band. Would you guys come? We really want to give you an opportunity. Put up the last parts of the notes, please, because there's things that we can do right now. Number one, we can repent personally if you've had one or supported one, or you can repent as a nation. How many feel like we need to repent as a nation? Like even though maybe you didn't do it, but you're part of a nation that has been doing it, and you feel like, man, I feel icky because of that. I feel guilty because of that. You know, the Bible talks about repenting on behalf of your nation. And I want to repent today as well. Altar workers, would you come, please? The second thing that we can do is we can reach out. We can reach out. Pastor Jared takes a group every other week to the abortion clinic, and then we have Ryan. Ryan, go ahead and raise your hand. He goes out every week and multiple times a week. So there are people you can go out with and reach out to uh, the mothers where they're at. We don't go out there, and if you've ever seen, like, protesting or signs, like, it's, it's like just to make a lot of noise. That's not why we're going out there. We're going out there to preach the gospel. There are lives that are spared when they go out there. Yes, there are people that get upset because they're out there and, and they go, but they're, they're going for the reason of reaching out. And also you can reach out to your friends and your neighbors. How many think today with these notes, the pictures, the things that you heard, you could reach out pretty good, right? So if somebody came to you and said, oh, well, it's my body, you would have something to say back to that, wouldn't you? Or what if they said, well, what if somebody was raped so what they want to do is they want to talk about somebody getting raped as an excuse for an abortion to justify their abortion when they didn't even get raped right so you could say hold on first of all were you raped just, just to shut this down right now were you raped that's what you were saying doesn't mean you go running around with twan no were you raped no oh well what if the child has down syndrome does your child have down syndrome then you put it back on them and then of course rape we spare the innocent if, if somebody murdered Berto's child, God forbid, they murder his child, do we then murder Berto? You're innocent. No. If, if somebody rapes the woman, do we murder the baby? Of course not. And if a child is born with a handicap or Crohn's disease or something, do we murder that child? No. Would we do that to you? What if you got handicapped? What if you had Crohn's disease? Do we murder you? Of course not. Number four, uh, number three rather, we refute... And that goes back to reaching out and repenting. We explain. This is the biblical concept. And then lastly, we just repeat it. We repeat it just like how we started with that scripture. We end going, Jesus, use me. Use us to change the world. Amen? Let's close out in prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for using Pastor Jared in this message today. Now, Lord, as we're up here as prayer workers, I pray, first of all, that if anyone's had an abortion today, they'll come up and receive forgiveness. Lord, if they want to change and have you forgive them, I pray that they'll receive it, Lord. And then, Lord, for all of us here, I pray that we'll repent on behalf of this nation. Matter of fact, let's just do it right now, congregation. Come on, let's repent for two abortions a minute. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for two abortions a minute. Forgive us for not reaching out to our friends enough. Forgive us for supporting different things that promote abortion. 
Forgive us for supporting Planned Parenthood. Forgive us for voting for uh, political officers who make it more easier, more available, make it longer like uh, Bill Clinton and others made made it available to kill babies even longer in, in the womb. Lord, forgive us for all of that. Forgive us. And now, Lord, we pray for mercy upon every single woman here today for them to be good mothers for them to be wives before they have sex and for them to be good mothers and for every man here to wait until he's married to have sex and to be a good father to take care of his children and to raise them 